episode of Palm Further Review, the refs truly determine the outcome of a game, players make a final call, bowling splits of a different kind, and a veteran ESPN basketball analyst discusses the challenges of calling games this season. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your bi-monthly snapshot and discussion of sports in the age of COVID. I'm Ty Henry. And I'm Matt Zemek. Matt, several topics to discuss that are topical, but one that broke just as we were speaking with Corey Williams in our interview is that the UCLA-Oregon men's basketball contest was postponed, and I don't know if it's been canceled, uh, but you've been have a chance. You've had a chance to do some research and get some information because of a referee issue, COVID issue. Yeah, so neither UCLA nor Oregon, the game was played in Eugene or scheduled to be played in Eugene on Wednesday afternoon. Neither team had any COVID complications whatsoever, but the officiating crew did, and the Pac-12 could not uh, find uh, an alternate officiating crew, so it's going to be interesting. That's the first such uh, COVID-19-based postponement due to uh, an issue with the officiating crew that we've seen during this college basketball season. So it certainly raises the question of how many times this is going to happen in the future. Now, an an added detail to the story, Ty, is that the Pac-12 did say that it would have an alternate crew isolated in a a separate uh, spot so that it could step in if needed for the regular, you know, the meat of the Pac-12 season when they get into regular games, uh, regular conference games, I should say, on uh, Thursday, December 31st. That begins the normal flow of, you know, Pac-12 teams playing two games in a given region. You know, they uh, like the right, Arizona the schools mm-hmm. play at the Washington schools and the the uh, mountain schools play at the Los Angeles schools, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The Pac-12 said it was going to have uh, alternate crews set up for those games beginning December 31st, but it didn't have them in place for this UCLA Oregon game. And that brings up the point that, you know, the PAC 12 went from an 18 game conference schedule to 20 and it had a bunch of scattered conference games in December before Christmas, not played with any kind of uh, regular rhythm. Uh, and so within that irregularity, uh, the Pac-12 didn't have a, a, a separate officiating crew on standby. That's why that game got postponed. Um, it's not going to be canceled, or at least as of yet, that hasn't been uh, announced by the league. There, there is a possibility that you know when uh, UCLA plays USC, and when any rival schools in the Pac-12 play, they play one game on Saturday during that week. So that's a one game week instead of a two game week. So uh, when UCLA plays USC later this season on a Saturday, there is a a sense in the PAC 12, at least right now that the makeup game could be played on the Wednesday uh, of that week, because Oregon will be playing Oregon state on Saturday uh, of that same week. So that would be the time to fit in the makeup game, but that hasn't been announced at the time we're recording this show. 
So I have a follow-up question on the referee issue. Obviously, if you're going to have a couple of referees on standby, that creates a resource allocation matter. Um, so you're allocating four officials or uh, or six officials to a game where you know when you would typically allocate three with a with, with one alternate um, or whatever the number may be. So with that being the case, has uh, is there some cooperation between the conferences? For example, if uh, if they if we have a, a if we have Arizona playing at Washington State, for example, and there's an issue with an official from uh, f- for that game, do is there cooperation, say, with the West Coast Conference to have a couple of guys on standby, or would it be always Pac-12 officials, or is this something that's sort of unknown and we're sort of figuring it out? Or what do you know about that? Yeah, it is unknown at this point how geographically proximate conferences are going to work together to to fill in uh, for officiating gaps that might arise due to last minute COVID issues. Uh, another thing to consider is, you know, whether a, uh, a men's basketball crew might take the place of a women's basketball officiating crew or vice versa. Yeah. And details uh, haven't emerged on those kinds of things, but there are a lot of ways in which uh, officiating crews can cross match uh, to be there as alternate crews. And it's going to be interesting to see how, flexible uh the schools and conferences are going to be you know especially if uh if a a men's game is at risk of being canceled will you know and and a women's basketball crew is there that the teams don't have any familiarity with are they gonna say hey let's do that or are they gonna say let's cancel it we don't really know but that's gonna be an interesting variable if any of these officiating based COVID-19 complications uh, emerge uh, in the college basketball season. Dateline from The Athletic, December 24, 2020. There, uh, so this is a, a compilation of, of several different writers. There's no byline here. Uh, the 2021 college bowl season is underway, but many of the original scheduled teams have been canceled and others may as well due to COVID-19 issues. Tennessee, for one, had to withdraw from the December 31st Liberty Bowl due to positive cases. As of December 21st, there were to be 28 bowl games played, including the college football playoff semifinals in New Orleans, Clemson, Ohio State, and Arlington, Texas, Alabama, Notre Dame on New Year's Day. The following teams opted out of playing in a bowl this season. So LSU, obviously with NCAA sanctions, and they had a poor season anyway. Arizona State, Boise State, Boston College, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Kansas State, Louisville, Michigan State, Minnesota, Nebraska, Penn State, Pitt, Rutgers, San Diego State, Stanford, Texas Tech, UCLA, USC, Utah, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Washington. Now, Matt, this is interesting. This, there's, there's a lot of things to unpack with this list. Uh, Pac-10, uh, Pac-12 obviously being your beat. You have the two flag, uh, the, the two Los Angeles schools and another flagship program in Washington. Um, you have Virginia Tech, which is ending their 27-year uh, bowl streak. And, of course, you have Nebraska, which is an interesting case because Scott Frost and the Nebraska parents, we remember, were leading the charge to try to either get out of the, the the Big Twelve to try to fight to try to play another t- another conference's schedule or an independent type schedule, 
and they were leading sort of along with the Pac-12 players of uh, the we want to play hashtag uh, 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 push uh, to overturn the initial decision to not play football games this, this fall. Uh, any thoughts and information you may have on some of these teams, uh, both opinion-wise and things you found out uh, as to why maybe USC has decided to, to go that route? Yeah, well, in terms of USC, uh, Coach Clay Heldon said that if the Trojans had played a bowl, that uh, Keaton Slovis uh, w- wouldn't have been available, their quarterback. Now, whether that was due to injury or COVID fears, that's uncertain. But, you know, it, it's well known that Keaton Slovis's velocity on his throws was not up to par this season. And, you know, publicly, USC claimed that, that he was totally physically fit. But a lot of people on the inside think that, you know, there was still something wrong with his shoulder, his throwing shoulder, hmm. and that that's what held him back. And I think that is what came out. I mean, it didn't come out directly, but that's, I think, why many people assume Clay Heldon said he wouldn't have been available for the bowl game. But the other thing at work here, Ty, is that, you know, if the bowl game is not especially significant, if it's not a New Year's Six game or a playoff game, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the value of going to all this trouble to play this game and to keep uh, players away from their families, uh, you know, the regular season ended, of course, a week before Christmas. Just the value of going to the trouble of playing, you know, the weed whacker bowl, you know, a fifth a fifth tier bowl game, uh, it just isn't worth it. A lot of these programs uh, want their players to go home, and of course, you can make the point, Ty, that it's good recruiting practice. It's good for these coaches to show that they are listening to their players and they want their players to, you know, get off this treadmill of mental exhaustion. Go home and see your families. You know, a fifth-tier bowl game is simply not worth it. So, when other with other recruits watching, and you know, this is recruiting season. Uh, seeing a coach, you know, think of his players first, or you know, at least giving them the choice on whether to play or not in a bowl game. You know, that's that's just good business sense uh, for these coaches, and that's certainly something which is factored into a lot of their decisions. One other thing to note, like uh, here's, here's a good example with Washington, you know, Washington just got ravaged by COVID at, at precisely the wrong time in terms of the PAC 12 championship game. And also in terms of the bowl game, but it's wor- worth pointing out that the apple cup never got played this season. And one thing that college football did not do very well, the member conferences, I should say, they didn't schedule rivalry games early in the season and scheduling games early in the season. It while not guaranteeing that those games would be played, it certainly gave those games a much better chance of being played because you would be able to have more makeup dates later in the year. But uh, the PAC 12 with the Apple cup, uh, the big 10 with Ohio state and Michigan, they didn't schedule rivalry games early in the season. And that's why those rivalry games didn't get played. So a lot of different things to learn from the conferences and college football in general in terms of what could have and should have been done. Uh, A lot of missed opportunities and a lot of uh, people in leadership positions who really didn't think about uh, the long-term calculus here. So the the Alabama-Notre Dame game has been moved so it's in Arlington, Texas now. So that's going to be that's typically where the Cotton Bowl is played, or is it going to be at a different a different site? 
Yeah, it's going to be at Jerry World. Okay, interesting. And of course, that you know that came down right before the selection show, basically two weeks before the playoff semifinals. It's it's a decision that really could have been made a long time ago. Do you think it was pushed kind of by uh, uh, Brian Kelly's threat to because? Texas has different COVID rules. We saw that with the Dallas Mavericks playing the Los Angeles Lakers last night um, in terms of Dallas was not able to practice like they usually do in Texas because of the COVID restrictions of gatherings. They weren't able to have the same amount of team meetings. So we have this intersectional goulash of different COVID restrictions that when teams are on the road, they're going to have to adapt to. Is there a difference in was that was that was that a factor that played into it? Maybe are there going to be possibly some fans in there, much like the uh, the SEC did, with pockets of fans that are somewhat distanced from each other in the stands? I think you know the, the people will gravitate to the Brian Kelly remarks, but I think the college football playoff always wanted to be able to get fans, and, and I think that the college football playoff, which could have moved the game out of Pasadena well ahead of time. You know, when, as soon as the Pac-12 uh, announced its decision in mid-September to start its season on November 7th, the Pac-12 had essentially eliminated itself right then and there because a, a Pac-12 team playing just six games was extremely unlikely to be able to hold up against an ACC or SEC team that had played 10 or 11 games so even in as early as mid September, uh, with with a West Coast team almost certain to be out of the college football playoff picture, the college football playoff could have said, you know what, it's just not worth having two teams fly from other regions of the country, you know, the Central or Eastern time zones, out to Pasadena uh, for a game that you know may or may not have fans. And it was always known that California did have stricter policies. Then Texas, where this uh, Alabama Notre Dame game is going to be played, or uh, or other states, and we can you know talk about the merits of having a strict policy. That's kind of a separate conversation. But strictly in terms of providing a uh, a logistically easier uh, framework for for having this game and having fans at a game, you know, if that was always the college football playoffs priority to have at least a few thousand fans at a game, maybe just family members, but at least some people as opposed to zero, that decision could have and frankly should have been made in the middle of September. But instead it was done at the very last minute because the college football playoff never really had a backup plan for the playoff this season. To upon further review, joining us now, he's a business executive and philanthropist who started the Tucson Summer Pro League and the annual Tucson Summer Pro League for Kids in Tucson. He's currently an ESPN college basketball analyst, and for 12 years, he was in Europe as a professional basketball player and also in a former life, he hit five for seven from three in the final four. He's Illinois Basketball Hall of Famer Corey Williams. And Corey, the burning question that everybody wants to know before we get into the meeting interview is, did you pull the trigger on the Prince Akeem Nikes? 
you know what? I, I had to pass because they didn't have 14, so I got to wait and see if I can find them. But oh, I had some other, I had some other press and holiday needs that ranked above. I think I may end up getting them just for, just for two stakes, but I didn't get them that day. No, I did not. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's one of the things about uh, being one of the few people that we're, we're, we're blessed with having gainful employment at this time. And so a lot more stuff is going to fall on us to help some people out. And, uh, I'm blessed to be in that position for my family. I'm sure you feel you're blessed to be uh, 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 be with yours. Um, Corey, looking at um, the landscape, one thing that uh, doesn't really get discussed are regional broadcasters um, as in terms of COVID protocols and, what th- and, and things that they have to go through in order to be cleared for games, in order to travel. So give us just a snapshot of when you start planning for this season, going into September, going into October, looking at the schedule and game planning with uh, with ESPN and your other broadcast partners, that um, what are some of the things that uh, are different from from beginning the season prep? And give me a snapshot of what you've had to do going into games you broadcasted this year different than others. Well, it's been a very unique experience. Um, I have to give um, Disney, ABC, ESPN a tremendous amount of credit. They have been in constant contact with their massive staff of people. Um, Mandatory Zoom meeting, um, the way that they've attacked this from a production standpoint has been simply amazing. Um, About six weeks ago, I was shipped an entire home studio kit with HD cameras, lights, headsets. Um, I'm in a very unique position. The majority of the games um, I'll be doing, I'd say probably over 95% of them, we will not be on site. Okay, really? Okay. Because I did see on your Twitter account that you did do one game at ASU. So that was one of the primary questions in in following up is, like, like, like much of the production staff, you are going to be doing most of your broadcasts remotely. Yeah, what happened with ASU against San Diego State, that was a situation in which, um, you know, kind of how these networks operate. Sometimes they produce the game. Sometimes they uh, put them out to packagers. This particular game was done with a packager, and I had a buddy at the company who said, hey, you know, we need an, we need an analyst for this ASU game. He threw my name out there. Fox, you know, I had done some work for Fox in the past, and they were like, yeah, sure. We'd love to have them. So I had to get clearance from ESPN to do that one-off situation. That was a situation where we were on site, but a good 30 feet back from the court. Um, that's not the norm this year with talent on site. Um, most of the Pac-12 networks are doing games out of the broadcast booth in San Francisco. Um, I know ESPN and Fox, when, when they can, um, will be doing broadcasts remotely, but you know, like I said, ESPN has uh, spared no expense. I think the majority of the A team, and I would count myself loosely among that number, has received at-home studios so that when we do get games, um, we just, you know, get on a couple hours ahead of time and sync everything up and we're doing broadcasts from our home. Um, but that's the general feel right now. Um, the other thing is the COVID protocols are amazing. Um, they've contracted with several different vendors. If you work for ESPN and you do have to travel, all you do is go to a website, put in the date you're going to travel, and the next day you're FedEx the COVID kit. Um, all you do is complete the test, return it via FedEx, 
the label's already in there, and then you get your results within 24 hours. So that clears you for, I believe, seven days to travel and do your event. Primarily, there are people who have to be on site, production, cameras, things like that. But every once in a while, talent has to go on site. Um, you can request multiple tests. As a matter of fact, they suggested that we stockpile five or six test kits at the house because you never know. Things are so fluid with schedules changing. You know, but you definitely want to test and be cleared before you show up somewhere. And even then, you're still doing all social distancing. Corey, what what uh, are the guidelines in terms of what uh, makes ESPN send a crew, send talent out to a game and not? Has it been relatively clear and consistent? What are the variables involved? I mean, how how does the how is ESPN arriving at that decision during the pandemic? Well, I think you know your your games, the holiday games, the big showdowns. A lot of those tournaments were scratched. Those are situations where you have three or four teams playing at the same time in one gym, and they probably could get talent on site and be easier. But the overall determining factor is the release of the schedule by the conferences. Um, As you know, the networks are contracted to do a certain amount of games with each conference. And right now, that is the major holdup. The conferences themselves are having a heck of a time giving the networks a heads up as to this game is happening, this game isn't happening, this game's postponed, because all these different conferences have different COVID protocols. So while we may say, okay, we're going to do 30 Pac-12 games, they can't definitively tell me for sure, like in the good old days, I'd get my schedule in October and it'd be clear through March. But it literally is a week-to-week basis. They may have a game slated for E2, and it gets scratched and the talent that was going to work it gets bumped. The producers are really doing an amazing job of working on the fly, um, trying to get games and get uh, get the games on, on television. Corey, you're also dealing with a lot of moving parts. You, you spoke of COVID protocols for schools, but also they vary from state to state. What have you noticed in terms of how often the schools changing their or their protocols are based on what's what what the conference guidelines are, and also have to make immediate changes based on the changes in state guidelines, as we've seen with California, Arizona, and some other Pac-12 states. Well, I'm really not involved in a lot of those discussions. I'm kind of the low man on the totem pole. I get my schedule. For instance, I I, I think right now I have a game scheduled for January seventh. I believe it's San Francisco at. Um, I think BYU at San Francisco is the game. Mm-hmm. But I go to San Francisco, but I don't go to the gym. I go to a voiceover booth. So the actual producer of that game doesn't have remote capability. So while I do travel to San Francisco, I'm not stepping foot in the gym, which is kind of odd, but I don't care. I'll take the, <laughs> I'll take the miles in, on my on my uh, account and enjoy, enjoy the Bay for a day or two. But it's just, uh, you know, as far as the states, you're right. Every state um, has different um, statistics on COVID. They're at different threat levels, I guess you could call them. They're different state uh, governors with different attitudes about things. You see the SEC in football in the South versus the Pac-12 in the West. It is so drastic and different. It is literally a production nightmare. Uh your point about going to a, a, a city but not actually stepping in foot inside the gym, it leads me to this question, and that is that 
you know, the, the, the various conferences have been discussing, you know, should we play uh, a few games in a very short period of time, you know, maybe having like, uh, you know, playing maybe three games in a five day period, having kind of like a mini bubble set up um, for a broadcaster is ESPN uh, trying to assign games uh, in like a, in clusters in geographic clusters. So like you, you might do a, a, a pack 12 game on a Thursday, and then you might have a WCC game on a Saturday and then another pack 12 assignment on a Sunday. I mean, are there, do you find that the ESPN's patterns of geographical uh, allocation uh, have become different? Uh, kind of like how the NBA is trying to, you know, minimize road trips, minimize long flights on road trips. Uh, it, what, what is coming into focus with this schedule? You know, I don't see any specific pattern to it. Like I said, and this is just me and this is just my educated guess. I believe that the networks are functioning off the information in real time. The majority of these clubs have charters when they're talking about basketball. So whether or not a game is going to take place, you know, 100% sure just days out. So it may be on the schedule. Team A, test clean. Team B, test clean. Okay, guys, let's get on the plane. Let's go there. Let's play the game. And that's, you know, what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the official green light on games four to five days out, you know, when you absolutely know that enough people have tested negative and that the game is actually going to happen. Um, and like I said, the ability, the fact that we don't actually travel lends so much more flexibility to the network. Corey, speaking of game that just got postponed, just coming on the wire was UCLA and Oregon being postponed due to, of all things, an official getting a COVID test. Uh, that's the first I've heard of it, uh, of officials testing positive, costing a game or uh, leading to the delay of the game. Has that been happening with some frequency because I've been sort of out of the loop? I haven't. That's the first I've heard of it. And, you know, we were all kind of during the summer wondering as we watched football unfold. And I think, you know, Fox and ESPN and CBS have done the very best they could possibly do with the football schedule. They've managed to get a good number of games on TV. There were some blockbuster games that didn't happen. But all in all, I think they've probably delivered on 60 to 70 percent of the slate for football. But as far as the officials, we were all wondering because, you know, the officials, they're truly the wild card. They have to travel from place to place and they're out there with the players. Um, they're the they're the people, they have to be in airports, they have to be in hotels, they have to travel and they have to officiate the game. So testing for them, I know is an extreme priority. And to be quite honest, I'm not surprised that that's happened. I don't expect it will happen a lot. I know most of the WCC and Pac-12 officials, these guys are pros. Um, they understand everything that's at stake in terms of getting these games on the air and having some sort of college basketball season. They're all dedicated pros. I, I think that'll be rare that you see games being canceled on the account of officials because, one, they can rotate them out. But I think for the most part, mm -hmm. the officials are – how can I say this delicately? <laughs> They're a lot more disciplined than 19-year-old boys. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, we went to the U of A, Corey, and we won't tell those stories. So <laughs> I tell people all the time, I say, you realize, and, I, and it didn't really occur to me how much of college is proximity, whether mm -hmm. it's classrooms, campus, uh, the dorms, 
partying, social life. You go to college to be around people. I I was around people for four straight years in Arizona, like every day. It mm-hmm. felt weird when you weren't in a group. And now we've got these same young people during a pandemic who have to isolate and contact trace and you can't go to this party and you can't hang out with a group of people. If you're going to be playing football or basketball, you kind of got to, you know, move into the monastery and just power through the season. That's a lot to ask of young people at that age. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Corey, because I was speaking with Matt during the summer because they were speaking of what was ha- what happened. Because we know what happens, you know, being being in Arizona, you were on the team. I was around the team having friends on that, that during the summer, you guys are relatively isolated when you come back in July or June. And uh, they talked about how they are sort of in a bubble, so they're relatively safe. And one thing that didn't, didn't get discussed until we had the Pi Beta Phi outbreak at Oklahoma State that I was talking to Matt about is, do you know the second group to come on campus are Greek actives setting up for Rush? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and for people who don't understand what Rush is, is essentially, you know, the young men in their collared shirts, the young ladies in their cocktail dresses go in pods of five to ten five to ten people going from house to house to get recruited. It's a super spreader event. It's a series of super spreader events. And those people are connecting with football and basketball players as well. Uh, for parties and for fun and, and such. And so it's um, so it kind of hit people, gobsmack people immediately, like fraternities and sororities again. Well, yes, I mean, they're doing the but, same things we were doing 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just really amazing, you know, because we all been going through life up until the pandemic and whether it's airline seating, restaurants, hotels, travel, everything's based on getting people as close as you possibly can each other to maximize profit mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have a pandemic and now that rule is the antithesis of what you're supposed to do so you know colleges going online um i really tip my hat to the students uh whether they're athletes or not it's an extremely challenging situation so much of college is social and being with your friends and you know having a situation where a public health is supposed to trump your social experience. That's the great challenge I think the country's facing right now. Corey, uh, you know, living in a pandemic and digesting news and making sense of news in a pandemic has been a real challenge. Obviously, you know, the country's very split. The information which came out in the early months of the pandemic, especially March, was very mixed and conflicting. A lot of it turned out to be wrong. So, you know, we have a divided country, not just politically, but in terms of this pandemic. What's the biggest myth versus reality distinction you want to uh, put out there for our listeners in terms of uh, misinformation or, if not that, a misperception that really needs to be set straight so that people understand what's going on in this sphere of collegiate athletics and what really is a risk, what really is safe practice, and uh, in terms of helping us to evaluate not only how the various conferences and the various power players uh, have done up to this point, but how they're going to handle, you know, the NCAA tournament coming up and, and other things before a vaccine arrives for everybody. You know, I guess I don't really, you know, we'll, the, 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 the particulars of, you know, guidelines and things that people should do and follow and how the virus is transmitted and, terms of, you know, not having symptoms and asymptomatic versus obviously you have symptoms and what you should do, personal responsibility and all of that falls into play. I guess for me, and I'm going to age myself a little bit here, 
the most profound thing that stands out to me during this pandemic is um, people's sense of community, people's sense of literally citizenship. Um, I had a grandfather who was in the military. I had my father who served in the military. I know people who, I know women who had husbands in World War II and they worked, they walked into factories and did what they needed to do. I know people mm. that went off to Korea and Vietnam. I knew people who, we've had American sacrifice throughout our nation's history. There are millions and millions of stories of people giving up something real to make the country better. Mm -hmm. And what sticks out to me is regardless of how you feel about it, you're being asked to kind of stay at home on the couch and chill and wear a mask. We're not sending you to the jungle. We're not sending you off to Afghanistan. You're not working in a factory where all the men are fighting the Nazis. It's like the sacrifice level of the average everyday citizen is just astounding to me. And I think we all are in it together, but you made a great point earlier. We're so polarized. People don't see it that way. For me, it's like, I don't have to know the elderly person that I may be keeping safe. It's just part of being an American. That's the way I look at it. If you guys need me to sit in my house for nine months and play net and watch Netflix and play PS4, fine, I'll do it if it's going to make our country better. Now, that's the main key. Do you actually believe that it's effective? That's a whole nother conversation. But what triggers people and people's inability to see past themselves, regardless of which side you fall on, it's been amazing to sit here and watch people and I'm thinking sacrifices that previous generations have made in real struggles, you know, just like this. And people's attitudes were completely different then. But like you say, we live in divided times. People get their information from lots of different sources. And I, I've always respectful of people, no matter where they fall on the spectrum. Um, but I think what I've always done, and, and Ty, I wanted to thank you because we didn't get around and mention this before. You know, you've supported my community events and the things that we've done with the kids. So I wanted to thank you for that. But I've always seen my role as trying to be a facilitator, trying to give back. Um, it's no, you know, skin off my teeth to wear a mask for a little while or socially distance for a little while. If that's going to help some, some other people stay alive. Absolutely. Um, speaking of things that are a little bit divided, um, Corey, you were also having been in the basketball community for well over 30 years, playing college, playing in the pros, starting the Tucson Summer Pro League, and having your foot in different areas. Now on the broadcast side, you obviously know a lot of coaches and you speak on the record and off the record. Getting a general sense of there's there, there's, there's, there's sort of three kind of camps. There are people that are like, you know, gung-ho, let's go forward. There are people that say like Mike Krzyzewski, maybe we need a three-week pause um, somebody spoke of maybe having May Madness. I think that was Rick, 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 Rick Pitino Jr. And you have what happened with Chicago State today where they're an 0-9 team, of course, but uh, they decided to cancel the rest of the season. So, And Jeff Capel has gone to the COVID protocol, and, and I think one other co major coach has. And so, and he's had some, some misgivings. Based on what you've observed of sort of in those thirds, postponing going full going full steam ahead or just sort of uh uh calling this a covid year and taking a rain check where on the spectrum do you do most of the coaches that you're in interacting with on and off the record kind of fall 
I think most of the coaches, um, their DNA is that of athletes or former athletes, or they've been doing it so long, it literally is in their blood. And because it's in your blood, it means you're competitive. That means you naturally want to play. COVID, flood, earthquake, doesn't matter. (laughs) You want to play because you're competitive. You can't be a top-tier coach and not be competitive. So when someone in a white jacket says, hey, you can't be a gladiator this month. You have to socially distance. It it does affect these guys. And I understand their frustration because they're wired a different way. But coaches are leaders. And the coaches that I know take that responsibility very seriously. They know that they've been entrusted with the welfare of these young men and women. So their response publicly is usually one where they feel they're saying what's best for the people in their program. So I don't really judge them because, you know, everyone's risk tolerance level is different, but the majority of coaches I talk to, they understand, believe me, they've had a million zoom meetings. They've been talked to by their administration. They know the protocols. I was talking with Damon Stoudemire, who's a good friend of mine, who's the coach at Pacific and they had to shut things down for a day or two. The overall word I would, the overall consensus I would say is just frustration. These are coaches who um, you've got a four or five month window to play college basketball or five, five month window to play college basketball. And you want to get the most out of your guys and they're ready to go. And mm. these stop and go, stop and go. Everyone mm. understands why we have to do it. But I would say frustration, not a negative frustration, but just a frustration of, you know, it's go time. Um, basketball is a rhythm sport. It really is. Yeah. And, and um, you see it every year in the tournament. The teams that are playing well at the end of the year go further in the tournament. So how do you get momentum? How do you get reps in? These kids, they have to be brainwashed and taught how to play the right way. Well, that requires reps. It requires practice. It requires me yelling at you 50 times like Coach O used to yell at me in order to do the So without those reps, the coaches are like, how can I be John Calipari? How can I be Mike Krzyzewski if I'm not getting in the reps with my kids? Hmm. And then, you know, so I, I get their frustration and I think a lot of coaches have done a great job of, of, of articulating how they feel. Um, usually the coaches' statements are in line with what the school has already said. I, very, I haven't seen too many situations where coaches just kind of gone rogue and said crazy stuff. Corey, is it too early yet to judge how um, the reality of eligibility existing next season for players playing this season, uh, you know, th- that blanket eligibility due to the pandemic and all of its uh, uh, distortions, is it too early to say how that is affecting coaches' decisions in terms of uh, the minutes they allocate to players or how they juggle rotations, any of that? Or are you already noticing things that are different compared to a quote-unquote normal season? Well, it's already so much different. Um Coaches are continually scouting. You know, most of these coaches put in 18-hour days. They're looking at JUCO transfers. They're looking at high school freshmen for two classes out, you know, class of 2022. They're on the road, and none of that's happening right now. So everything is just really kind of in a free fall in terms of the steps you normally take to keep your program rolling. I think that's a major concern. Um, 
being in conferences that, you know, didn't have a full season, being on conferences that didn't get exposure. I'm very, very excited and, 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 and curious to see how the final 68-team tournament takes place in Indianapolis. I think it's got a great chance to be successful. Um, they get a full 68 playing at two or three different locations around Indianapolis. I think it's going to be great. It'll be great for TV, that's for sure. Um, but I think if the NCAA can do what college football is about to do, hey, here are our top four teams. Watch the playoff. We can crown a champion during a pandemic. If the NCAA can do the same thing with March Madness, I think you count this season as success and maybe you don't do the whole do-over year if they can somehow stumble across the finish line. That does it for this episode of A Palm for the Review. And until next time, learn more, share more, think more, care more.